Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. On the last day of vacation in Alaska, on the way to the airport and a midnight flight home, my husband and I found ourselves taking a detour. When I'm not in my pastoral role, I tend to be a dawdler and a dreamer. So I don't think he was surprised when I suggested turning off at mile 56.3 of the Seward Highway and driving 17 miles out of the way to a town with less than 200 residents, one saloon, and a gorgeous mountain view. We were on the way to Hope, which sits on Resurrection Creek. And once I arrived, I didn't want to leave. After a long hike in the woods, we wandered into the town and watched fishermen on the riverbanks casting lines for the pink salmon taking their final journey up the river where they were born to spawn the next generation. A band was setting up at the saloon. Tents and campers spread out on open grass and strangers greeted each other with kindness. I didn't want to visit Hope. I wanted to live there. Soon enough, we would be returned to the world of earthquakes and hurricanes and wars and evacuations of COVID outbreaks and community crises. So for a few minutes longer, we watched fish swim and clouds dance. And then we left hope behind. Since returning home, I have struggled a bit adjusting to the rush of personal, community, and world problems that come at us all. My nervous system, so recently restored by wilderness and water, is already leaning toward overdrive. And I know I'm not alone. A recent article by Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber called You Can't Take It Anymore, There's a Reason, lifts up all the ways social media and a 24-hour news cycle are constantly grabbing our attention. She writes, I just do not think our psyches were developed to hold, feel, and respond to everything coming at them right now. Every tragedy, injustice, sorrow, and natural disaster happening to every human across the entire planet in real time, every minute of every day. The human heart and spirit were developed to be able to hold, feel, and respond to any tragedy, injustice, sorrow, or natural disaster that was happening in our village. She concludes that our emotional circuit breakers keep overloading because our hardware was built for an older, more simple time. And she then goes on to offer three helpful discernment questions for us. The first is, what's mine to do and what's not mine to do? The second is, what's mine to say and what's mine not to say? And the third one is harder. What's mine to care about and what's not mine to care about? To be clear, she says, that's not to say that it is not worthy to be cared about by someone. 
only that my effectiveness in the world cannot extend to every worthy to be cared about event and situation. It's not an issue of values, she says. It's an issue of math, which I guess is what our teachers always told us, that it all comes back to math. But I resonated with her comment as we're pulled in all these different directions. And I think this is where our Bible passage from today comes in handy. There is no author mentioned in the passage, but historically, this book, this little five-chapter piece, this epistle, is credited to James. Now, maybe that's James the Apostle, or James the Just, or James the half-brother of Jesus, which means it was written either really early or really late, and most likely to early Christians dispersed throughout the Greek world trying to make a go of it under significant pressure, including persecution. Some have been forced to leave home and work and family and country. Loved ones have been threatened. Goods have been confiscated. Businesses have gone bankrupt. If anyone has a right to be angry, it is these servants of God. And in return, James has a very practical message for them. It's directed to those who just want to know what to do and how to live. Some compare his writing to wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs, because the concerns here are not doctrinal, but ethical. The message is so action-oriented that many folks throughout history, including Martin Luther, and other Protestant reformers questioned whether this book should be in the Bible at all. Jesus isn't mentioned much, and Paul's strong emphasis on faith alone for salvation is absent. This writer has little regard for belief without action, for faith without works. For James, the whole question of what makes up true religion boils down to this. What is mine to do and not to do? What is mine to say and not to say? What is mine to care about and not to care about? How can we live in hope? And this is where James is so on point. Acknowledging God as the source of all good gifts, the creator of heavenly lights, which, by the way, were objects of worship in the pagan world, James tells us what to do and not to do with admirable clarity and lots of imperatives, speaking to people who are living under pressure from within and without, whose circuits are on overdrive. He offers a twin path of personal morality and social ministry. And like every good Jew of his day and our own, James has a full understanding of what it means to really listen to God's word, which is not just to hear it, but to do it. He says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, in the modern mainline church of which we are all a part, the most natural jumping-off point for this passage comes right at the end. Care for the vulnerable. Yes, 
watch out for the children and the elders and those who are struggling. Yes, we can all embrace that kind of vision and mission. And indeed, at Fairmount, we have done just that. Youth, poverty, and education are our rallying cries for making a difference. Our concerns for justice span far and wide and include real on-the-ground work in environmental causes, in anti-racism efforts, in prison ministry, in refugee resettlement, in food banks and clothing drives, in home renovation with Lutheran Metropolitan Ministry, and ongoing partnership with Batay 105 in the Dominican Republic. And all of that is very, very good. And we should keep doing it as doers of the word, but not without attending to what good old James calls us to first, before anything else, a standard of personal morality that is frankly hard to maintain in our current culture, a challenge and a personal rule to live by. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. James is careful to point out that what we do with our anger makes all the difference, that what you say matters that how you say it matters, especially in our own households where words can be weapons and wounds inflicted by anger are slow to heal. Ungoverned anger, according to James, does something to the soul. It confuses it and makes it hard for the implanted word of God to be received. So before we seek to make a difference in the world, we need to do our own work and attend to the roots of bitterness that develop from time to time and lead us to inflict our hidden hurt on others. It matters how we treat each other. It matters what we say and what we don't say and how we honor our commitments and our vows, how we live honestly and resist temptation, how we repent when we have sinned and restore relationships when possible and keep ourselves unstained by a world seemingly devoted to self-promotion, divisive rhetoric, and angry confrontation. What is ours to do and not to do? To say and not to say, and what is ours to care about? Most recently, many of us have been heartbroken by the news coming out of Afghanistan even before the tragic bombing that killed 13 U.S. service members and so many others. To bring it to a local perspective, more than 30 Afghan refugees have already arrived in Cleveland, and there are more to come. One of them, Bashir Naizi, is an Afgh Afghan immigrant who worked as a translator between 2012 and 2016 and came to Cleveland in 2016 without his family, as the Taliban roiled huge swaths of Afghanistan, eventually taking Kabul, Niazi feared retribution against his family who still lived there. He says, the night the Marine helped my family to get to the airport, the same night, the Taliban was searching my home. Imagine if he was late by one day or one night, what would be the situation for my family? Rescued from their home by a U.S. Marine, he said his family members now plan to resettle in Akron, bringing nothing but the clothes on their backs. What is ours to do and not to do? To say and not to say, what is ours to care about? From across the centuries, 
the Christian ethicist James gives us direction. Care for the orphans and widows, in other words, the most vulnerable, and keep yourselves unstained by the world. Wherever your village is, he wants us to find a way to get on the road to hope. Reverend William Barber, pastor and social justice warrior, famously tells the story of sitting in his grandmama's kitchen. One of my favorite stories. After she fed him, she and some of the other sisters from their church would make up to-go plates, and with their aprons still on, they'd head out the door to visit the sick and shut in. We're going to hope somebody, she would say. For years, Barber said, he thought Grandmama's grammar was bad and he knew hope wasn't a verb. But years later, after he went to graduate school and read all the great theologians, he says, I woke up one morning and I couldn't move. My doctors told me I'd never walk again. There was nothing they could do to help me. And laying on my back in the hospital bed, it struck me that Grandmama was a better theologian than I realized. When no one could help me, I needed somebody to hope me. Only a revival on the inside was going to change my circumstances on the outside. He says, so God sent an angel to hope me, and something powerful happened. Folks started getting together. My doctors got with the nurses. My family got with the therapist. My church figured out how to help me get around. It was a dozen years before I could walk on my own. But the minute I had hope down on the inside and folks started coming together, I knew I had a future. And that's part of his mission, to spread that kind of hope. And it should be part of ours as well. Because, friends, we are all living under enormous pressure. And our systems lean into overdrive. We cannot do everything. We cannot care deeply about everything. God's word today points us to two interrelated directions. What is ours to do? Attend to our personal morality and offer care to those in need. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because hope is not only a physical and metaphorical place, it is our Christian calling. Hope is a verb. So this week, go out and find a way to hope someone. And let me know how it goes. In the name of Jesus, amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.